We are continuing our study on Lucifer, a faith that failed. And today I've entitled our message, The Five Eyes to Failure. Now, if you do five eyes, you will find something on the internet. We currently have an international security cooperative called The Five Eyes. Uh, so, but it, we won't go down that way. But I, I just have to give credit to the five eyes because I didn't want to get sued, you know, for you know plagiarism or something. But these eyes and those eyes aren't the same eyes, but they could be influenced by you know Lucifer's eyes. I don't know. But we're going to look at the five eyes to failure. Last week we looked at the names of Lucifer. Let's let's review that just real quickly. When the Lord gives someone or something a name, it has a meaning. Now, my son is named after me, and I was named after my father. And when we gave Trey his name, um, it, it means something, you know. It, it means something to me. I've asked my son, so is there hopes of a quattro? I think the odds are low. <laughs> but that's okay. But names mean something. And when the Lord gives a name to someone or something, there's meaning behind it. And the name Lucifer means day star or son of the morning, which partially describes what God's intended role for him was. When we think of Zacchaeus, you know, Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus means righteous one. And when we meet Zacchaeus, he was everything but righteous. But his father and his mother had a a, a dream, a hope that he would be a righteous man. And when I think of the name Lucifer and its original context, I would, I'd like to, you to think of one of the most brilliant mornings you've ever seen birthed. And Lucifer looked a little bit like that. You know, this, this, this morning star, the sun of the morning, there's something about mornings. Now, I don't know. I don't have to be up at sunrise all the time like some of you do. But there is something about a sunrise that just boosts your spirits. Another day, another opportunity, another challenge. Um, you know, you're coming out of the darkness. It, there's something about mornings that are extra special. And then we see his name Satan, which means adversary or one who opposes. If you think you have opposition, you think properly. The accuser of the saints. What does he accuse you of? Well, you could just figure it out. <clears throat> just make a list. He, you know, he accused Job that Job wouldn't love God if God took his hand off of him. You know, Job's really in this relationship for the gets. If you let me touch him and take away all the, the benefits, all the perks, Job will, Job will turn his back on you. That's what he thinks of us. He's the tempter. And I meant, excuse me, I mentioned this Sunday night. Temptation as a 19-year-old and temptation as a 57-year-old may not be the same temptation. But Lucifer knows the right lure to use when he's fishing for you. Another of his titles is devil, which means slanderer, and then Beelzebub, which means lord of the flies. Wouldn't you like that monogrammed on your shirt? Oh, Lucifer, lord of the flies. Yeah, that you would not like to put on your Facebook profile. So let's look at Lucifer's pride-filled failure. Proverbs 16 tells us this. The highway of the upright is, a is to turn away from evil. One who watches his way protects his life. Pride. A five-letter word with I in the middle of it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit 
with the needy than to divide the spoils with the proud. The proud. Pride is problematic. Now, let me just say, I'm not talking about biblically sound pride, okay? You can be proud of yourself. You can be proud of what you accomplished. We're not talking about that today, okay? We're talking about when, when things go you know, far too far. Let's look at the pathway pride can produce for us. One, the Bible says that pride leads us to a disgrace. <coughs> have, you, you know, have you ever known someone whose pride, their ego, led them all the way down the path to disgrace? Yeah, we've seen it. How about this? Pride leads to conflict, <laughs> right? Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself crossing swords with someone only to realize it might be your pride? Now, it's never happened to me. I thought I was wrong once, but I was truly only mistaken. But pride can lead to a conflict. Pride can take us places in, in our minds and in our words and in our actions we never intended to go. Pride will produce conflict sooner or later. <clears throat> Even if you have two people who think individually they're the greatest people on the face of the world, guess what? Eventually pride says one of them has to be, what, alpha. It's inevitable. Pride goes before destruction. Pride ends in humiliation. Pride will be brought down and arrogance will be humbled. Here's the thing. You could fly high on pride, but there's a payday someday. And the landing is never soft. Ungodly pride is a dangerous doorway to disobedience and destruction. Look at this passage in Ezekiel. Speaking to Lucifer, you were blameless in your ways from the day of your creation. You were blameless, past tense. What are you saying here, Jimmy? Well, what I'm saying is when God created Lucifer... He was, what, blameless. But Lucifer, the angelic hosts, and we as humanity have a thing called free will. We have a choice. Now, it's a funny thing about free will. We all want it when we want it. But when it comes time to be held accountable for it, we got to blame somebody. Well, why would you leave your car keys on your nightstand if you didn't want me to drive it? I don't know anyone that would have said that to their parents. <laughs> Think about it. How many times have we found ourselves exercising our free will, perhaps against our better judgment, and then when the house of cards comes fum, uh, falling down, we want to blame someone else? It's human nature. God says, when you were created, you were blameless, but you had free will. And you were blameless, what, till unrighteousness, sin, was found in you. Well, where did that come from? Now, the world will tell you God created it. Well, my friends, I disagree. It's not fair to set a rule that no one can follow and then punish them for that rule. Lucifer was created sinless as all the other angels were. And he was sinless, what? Till. It's a big word. First Timothy in the New Testament, as, as a church, we, we are given some instructions on how to set apart leaders and servants. First Timothy 3.6 says this, He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. 
and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, I'm not, I am not confessing to anything, but when I was a young believer, um, let's just say <clears throat> the Scripture's true, shall we? Um, sometimes when you're a young believer, you kind of think of yourself maybe a little more highly than you think. There might be a little bit, I might be better than you. Uh, when you're a young believer, you may look at older believers and you think, hey, I might know better than you. I mean, God knows what he's doing and he knows what he's written. And the problem with a young believer sometimes is we can become conceited. And that word conceit is defined as this, an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability, importance, wit, knowledge, etc. My personality profile is given to pridefulness. My bride will testify to you that the man that sits here at 57 isn't the same man that she met at 22. Praise be to God. Because I, I, I tended to think more highly of myself in some areas. And the challenge is this, is my personality is given to it, so I have to be very diligent. But all of us can find ourselves, if we're not careful, sitting at the table of conceit. Isaiah 41 gives us this pathway in which Lucifer followed. Let's read that together, shall we? How you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth, you who defeated the nations. But you said in your heart, Lucifer, but you said, who? In your heart, <clears throat> I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I love this quote uh, by uh, Dr. Bushwell. Sin is, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, Satan's sin is a spontaneous generation in the heart of of this being whom such significance and power and beauty had been combined and to whom such authority and privilege had been given. Lucifer made the choice that he wanted and believed he was worthy of and, and deserving of to be what? God. Now you say, man, what is that cat thinking? Well, it's a pretty short walk. And all of us know the pathway. But Satan gave in to himself and his thoughts and his feelings, and he bought a lie. And let's look at his five eyes. First, I will ascend to heaven as a guardian of God's holiness. Satan had access to heaven. But this expresses his desire to occupy and settle into heaven on a greater footing than God. He's going to be the ruler of heaven. Number two, I will raise my throne above the stars. This means uh, that he wanted to be and have authority and rule over all of the angels. His peers, he wanted to be the ruler over his peers. Number three, I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. This speaks of Satan's ambition to govern the universe as the assembly of the Babylonian gods and in, in the, in the historical beliefs they had. He not only wanted heaven, he not only wanted the angels, but he wanted the entirety of the universe. Number four, 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. He wanted the glory that belongs to the Lord. Exodus 16 tells us this. And Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel. And they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord. What? In the clouds. When God was interacting with the nation of Israel, it was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He wanted the very appearance of God. And number five, I will make myself, I will make myself like the Most High. Now, when we look at Lucifer, it's really easy to kind of get, but brothers and sisters, let me say this because I am a man who has done so. When we put ourselves before the Lord in thought, in word, and in deed, then my friends, this is our statement. As a believer, on the occasions when we willfully and intentionally and desirously go against what God would have us to do, this is our prayer. Because there's only room for one God. You know, it's like musical chairs when you're down to the last one. Only one person sits in it. And you and I have the authority, or let me back up, we think we have the authority to decide who sits in it. And so when we think about Lucifer and we think about this attitude and we think about this pride and conceit, brothers and sisters, as a man who knows what that looks like, let me say, we're all differing, different, differently linked walks from it. And we must be very careful. We all must be very, very careful. All sin is serious and all sin affect others. Listen, there's no degree of sin. It's a great illustration. I loved it. I didn't think of it, but I use it all the time. The world thinks of sin like this. There's the really big sins, and then there's the lesser sins. You know, the little white lies, you know. You know. <laughs> anyway, I cracked myself up. But we, we look at sin like this. But that's not the way God looks at it. God looks at sin like this. It's sin, sin is sin is sin. That being true and said, all sin is serious and sin affects others. That's another truth. All sin affects others. But sin in high places is more serious and the ramifications more widespread. The sin of Satan should serve as a constant reminder to us all. I said this Friday to the Lone Oak football team and I'll say it to you today. Every single one of us is leading someone or groups of someones. Whether it's your home, whether it's your mission field at work, wherever it is, we're all leading someone. And a sin unto failure in your life will have a cascading effect. Lucifer did not take into account in his sinful mathematics the trickle-down economics. I can't imagine that in his thought process... He thought a third of the angelic host would be forever condemned. <clears throat> and then God's creation, you and I, after so many generations, will still be carriers of this thing called sin. Yet here we are. So, how do we put pride in its proper place? Let me get a drink and let you enjoy that picture right there. You know that's not me because that cup of coffee is not even worth lifting up. 
When I was in Russia some years ago, a lady wanted to make me Turkish, no, not Turkish, it was Armenian coffee. And she was very insistent, and I was very, I was very humble and gracious to receive. And she brings me this little bitty cup. And I think to myself, much like this picture, well, what's this? I didn't know they made shot glasses for coffee. Don't judge me. And she says, well, the reason we drink such small coffee cups is because we don't want to give you a heart attack. Because the caffeine level is like a thousand. And then when you sip down to the bottom of it, it looks like sand on a beach. You got you to drink it with your teeth clenched. Yeah. Hey, but you know what? When in Moscow. Anyway, how do we put this pride aside? Dr. John Piper, uh, a wonderful pastor, a wonderful teacher, a wonderful leader, <clears throat> and a wonderful author, uh, wrote one, one of his texts that he wrote that I, that I have enjoyed is entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, a, great, a great, simple, quick read, uh, challenging read. But Dr. John Piper, in one of his seminary um, chapel services, addressed this very thing. And, and so I thought, you know what? Josh, truth is truth, and John Piper touched it, and so I've given John Piper well and proper credit, right? So success tip number one, give God credit, amen? First Corinthians, for consider your calling, brothers, not that you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Who is that? That's me, Ronnie. Man, that's me. That's, that's, <clears throat> that's my resume, but God chose now, we're not going to get into Calvinism today, but God chose. I told you a couple weeks ago, I stood so close to salvation that my breath fogged up the glass, but I nearly missed it. All those years of Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, VBS, uh, what else, summer camp, and all sorts of things, I never chose God. Hmm. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to excuse me, even things that are not, to bring to nothing. Is, is it all right? All right. I'm just telling you, my dyslexia is going. I mean. That, 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 that pull-up break is, is about to come out in my hand. So we're going to go ahead. So that no, human being, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Him who became, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it was written, let the one who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. One of the greatest antidotes to pride is this, brag on Jesus. Who am I? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if there's anything about me that you love, respect, or desire to, to emulate, it's because of Jesus. It's not me. The greatest, one of the greatest antidotes is to brag on the Lord. Step number two, give God the credit. <clears throat> the point is <clears throat> humility agrees and is glad to give God all the credit for choosing us and calling us to himself. Do you know what I deserved from God? Not one thing. And I stand here today as your pastor, and I want you to know, I, 
I never deserved to be the pastor of ALF. But I'm glad God thought differently. I never thought I would have what it would take to be your pastor. But I'm glad that God thought differently. God is exceedingly and abundantly generous. I think to myself, one of the things that my privilege being your pastor proves is that God's got a sense of humor. Humility loves to talk about the grace of God. I'm thankful that the grace of God didn't allow me to rob myself of the privilege. I'm thankful that the grace of God put it in the minds and the hearts of those men and women all those years ago to go, hey, let's give this cat a run. I am so thankful. Step number two, recognize God's gifts. So the second observation is humility agrees is that is, is agrees and is glad that everything we have is a gift from God. Amen? Now that, that's easy to say what when all the gifts are good. But everything we have is a gift from the Lord. A.W. Tozer says this, what's wrong with Christians today is that we have the gifts of God, but we forgot about the God of the gifts. <laughs> Let's, shall we read that one more time just to make sure? What, it, what is wrong with Christians today is that we have the gifts of God, but we forget the God of the gifts. Have you ever given a gift at Christmas? And next thing you know, that kid's off in the box. And that expensive toy is laying over there in the wrapping. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, if we're not careful, we can enjoy the gifts, but we can forget the gift giver. And maybe either A, not give the Lord credit, or B, try to rob him. Try to rob him of his glory. Recognize God's gifts. The second observation is humility agrees and is glad that everything we have is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians says this, what do we have, excuse me, what do you have that you, do not, that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I am a blessed man, exceedingly and abundantly. And everything that I have has been a gift from the Lord. We need to recognize the gifts. Number three, depend on God's providence. Humility agrees and is glad that every beat of our heart is a gift from God, governed by God, and will only keep beating so long as God chooses it. Amen? Listen, the Bible says that there, there's, a, there's an appointed time. Now, <clears throat> you know, I used to teach people, I hope my time isn't when we're all on the same airplane. You know, but there's an appointed time. Listen, God is sovereign over us. He knew us before we were born. He knitted us together in our mother's womb. God is sovereign over us. He knows the days of our lives. He knows the beats of our heart. And so long as God wills, I'm trying to think. I can't, uh, man, so close. One of my favorite quotes um, Oh, I want to give him credit. I'm looking right at him. Lord, forgive me. A man is invincible until God's purposes are complete. Now, in the human context, we have all known people that seem to have departed us far too early. And when I say that, one of the first persons I think of is Craig Bowers. I love that kid. 
God hasn't chosen to explain to me why, but he doesn't owe it to me. But I believe that God is sovereign. And Craig's days were shorter than mine. But what I do know is this, is that Craig loved the Lord and he was faithful all of those days. And heaven is his home today. James 4 says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go and do this or that and we'll spend a year here and carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know, excuse me, why? You don't even know what tomorrow, what Dick Celestia is. See, I'm even, I'm, I'm going to fight through it, trust me. <laughs> what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance of schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. This is something that I've tried to incorporate in my life in recent days. If the Lord wills. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I know who holds it. And I know what purposes I have. But when we say, if the Lord wills, it reminds us. Live every day as if it's your last and one day you're going to be right. You may not even know it. But when we, when we place our lives under the sovereign authority of the Lord, it reminds us and it brings value into our lives and it challenges us. And when people hear us say such a thing, uh, it challenges them. Why would you say such a thing? I've had people ask me, why do you say that? Well, because I don't want to be God. Amen? I'm going to tell you what, mm -mm. it's kind of like being president. You have to be about half crazy to want to be president. Can we agree? I don't care what your political party is. You might be a little bit nuts. I'm not kidding you. I mean, Lord help them, all of them. But can you imagine being God? Who wants that job? Man, I don't even have to... If the Lord wills, why would you say such a thing? Because I don't want to be God. Number four, cherish the gospel. Colossians tells us this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Cherish the gospel in this. It implicates the fact that we should have the humility to forgive. Well, who do I forgive? Well, I don't know. Who's Jesus willing to forgive? Well, now, wait a minute, Jimmy. Jesus has never been on Twitter. Nope. He didn't need it. Well, you don't understand, Jimmy. He's never been on Facebook trying to defend what he believes. Nope. Didn't need it. Who do we forgive? Everybody. Why? Well, that's what Jesus did. How do you say that? Well, if you claim heaven is your home, da, 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 that's you. Now, is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Listen, if you can't be on social media without living an unforgiving life, guess what? 
Get changed or get off. That's t-shirt worthy right there, brother. If you cannot be engaged in social media without living your life in an ungodly way, then hang it up and get out. The Bible says it is better for a man to enter into heaven with one eye than to not enter at all. It's not worth it, brothers and sisters. How many times, Josh, have we been trying to, people try to bait us in? Hey, man, I, I hadn't seen you express an opinion about da 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 and I'm like, no, you haven't. Well, don't you have one? Well, of course I do. As a matter of fact, depending on what it is, I might have two or three. But you know what? Social media is a blessed opportunity to touch people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll not waste that opportunity on man's frivolity. Nope. Not interested. Now, I also thank God that I did not grow up in a time of social media. Because there would have been a day. Mm-mm. When, when, listen, I was born at just the right time. God knew. On the right day, brother. This humility pleases God and captures hearts. Now, I'm going to tell you what. If you're a person who's willing to forgive, you'll be surprised the hearts you can capture by that. Will you capture them all? No. Because guess what? Not everybody's repented. Not everybody's sorry. That's all right. Jeff, I, I think you touched on that this morning. Well, then who do we leave them to? We leave them to the Lord. Okay. And yes, my catchphrase was this. I didn't get even. I got ahead. Hey, okay. Listen, I forgive you. Now, I may not give you a second crack at it, but I forgive you. And one day, you'll have to answer to my father. Let me just say this. You'd rather repent now, but touch not the anointed, the scripture says. Let's go ahead. Verse 5, and serving others. Philippians 2 tells us this. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, or in, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to what end? Even unto the point of death on a cross. Service is one of the greatest antidotes to pridefulness. Humility in serving others is one of the most powerful and meaningful ways in which people can actually see your heart. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And, and if we're going to avoid eye disease, service is one of the best ways to do it. Service in your church, service in your mission field, service in a like-minded ministry. But when we put others ahead of ourselves, that is a natural antidote to pride. And guess what? You're probably going to feel really great about it. 
Service gives back far more than it costs, in my humble opinion, at least in my world. So can we avoid the five eyes? We absolutely can. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. It takes persistence and consistency. But we can and we must. Because the alternative is dangerous and deadly. Not only for ourselves, but for those who may not have yet met Christ. Because like we talked about last week, I know you don't want to be that excuse. I don't want to be that excuse. So let's think about it. Let's, let's ask ourselves, uh, do we need to get a checkup on our eyes? And do we need to make sure our prescription is ready and full for how to antidote those things? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you that even though temptation is abundant, Lord, we have a choice, just like Lucifer had. Lord, we have a choice in everything and in every way. Father, help us to choose you. It's not always easy. It's not always understood. And Lord, Lord, what you choose isn't always what we want in our own hearts. But Father, help us to choose you in all things. Because of your love, your grace, your mercy, your sovereignty, your strength, your power, your promises. Father, help us not to desire to be God. Because, Father, I know firsthand I failed miserably in my attempts. Father, I pray that you would guard this your church and these your people from the eye disease that can await us all. Father, I pray that you would bless us and you would strengthen us towards those those things that are antidotes to to that sin. Lord, help us to live in peace and in mercy and in humility. Lord, help us to be lovers of people, forgivers of transgression, and servants to those in need. And Father, in all those things, may you first and foremost be glorified because you chose us and it is not us alone, but it's you in us that turns our minds, our hearts, our hands and our feet contrary to our sin nature. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much that on that cross, And through that empty tomb, Lord, not in part but in whole, our sins are forgiven. Now, Lord, let us live in such a way that causes our world to thirst after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.